0: Hi everyone. Tonight's reading, tonight's first reading is from Daniel chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. So that's Daniel chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time "'because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. "'If you do not tell me the dream, "'there is only one penalty for you. "'You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, "'hoping the situation will change. "'So then, tell me the dream, "'and I will know that you can interpret it for me.' "'The astrologist answered the king, "'There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. "'No king.' However, great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the issue was issued, the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the King.
1: The second Bible reading is from Romans 13, to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God. Good evening, church. Nice to see you, whether you're here in the building or online or in the overflow. We're in Romans 13. It's my privilege to unpack God's word tonight. I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you to all of you. Uh, Thank you to our church. Well done, church. I'm so proud of us as a church over the last 12 months. The last 12 months, we have pivoted from one COVID restriction to another, uh, we're meeting in the building, and then we're at home. We can sing, and then we can't sing. Putting on masks, and then no masks. Four square metres, two square metres. And It's almost every single week there's a new restriction that we're called to submit to and to obey. And I know at times it's been frustrating, and I know at times it seemed a bit unfair... <laughs> You know, how is it that on a Saturday night I can be at a a footy stadium with 25,000 people shouting and yelling and screaming, but on a Sunday morning I can't sing in church? How is it that today that cinemas have 100% capacity but we're still restricted? But you know what? I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of us. Because as a church we have sought to actually submit to what the government have asked us to do. We, we've sought to obey. But we've sought to be model citizens. We've listened. We haven't rebelled. We've just done what they've asked us to do. So well done, church. Now, we are called to be model citizens, aren't we? I want to suggest that as Christians, we should be the best citizens in our society. We should be these model citizens that our world looks at and say, they are good people. And we should be known for our integrity, our generosity, our our kindness. We should be be known for our morality. We should be known for the way that we we care for the poor and care for the needy. We should be known as being these, these good moral citizens. That's what God asks of us. If you're a Christian here tonight, if you believe in Jesus I hope you know that you've actually got two passports. You're dual citizens. I've got two passports, not just England and Australian. But I've got a a passport for heaven. Heaven is my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's Philippians 3. If you trust in Christ, if you're in Christ, then you are a citizen of heaven. That means that God is your heavenly father and you live your entire life seeking to honour him, worship him, submit to him, adore him, respect him. But you're also a citizen of earth, of Sydney, of Australia. And sometimes that can bring real tension. Sometimes that can be awkward because sometimes as you live here on earth, you're asked to do things which offend God and so you have to make a choice. I hope you know it's okay to live with that tension. Jesus said, you know, we're to live in the world, but don't be of the world. Uh, Peter said that you're to be what's called an elect exile. So you are elect, you're chosen by God, you're loved by God, but you're strangers in this world because sometimes this world makes choices and decisions which go against what God wants and you feel a bit odd to live in this world. And today our theme is this, how can you be a model citizen when it comes to submitting to those in authority over you? How do you show that you belong to God by the way that you respect and honour those whom God has placed over you? So in Romans 13, and just to give you the context, uh, Romans 12 to 16 is that the so what section, the application of everything that Paul said in chapters 1 to 11. And so it begins 12 verse 1, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of all the ways that God has been merciful to us, in view of him choosing us and justifying us and adopting us and loving us and electing us, and in view of the ways he says you're not condemned, in view of all of that, live your life, your whole life in in a living sacrifice to him, total surrender to God. So 12, 1 and 2 is about relating to God in worship. Uh, Chapter 12, verses 3 to 8 are all about the way you relate to yourself. So you think rightly about yourself. You don't have a high view of yourself. You're humble. At 12 verses 9 to 21 are all the way you relate to other people. And the big command is to love, love other people with a sincere love, not a fake love. And, And even love those and bless those who have hurt you and who curse you. And chapter 13, 1 to 7 flows on from that. And it's all about the way you're to relate to those in authority over you. We're called to be different. We're called to be model citizens. And I think 13, 1 to 7 Paul is unpacking a famous statement that Jesus made. Uh, when Jesus was on earth, That the religious people, the, the Pharisees, uh, and the political people called the Herodians, met together, got together to try and trap Jesus. You can read about it in Matthew 22. And they came to Jesus and they said, oh, Jesus... Is it right to pay taxes? And Jesus says, well, well give me a coin. I so said, pull out a coin. He says, now tell me, whose image is this on this coin? And the people say, well, it's Caesar's image. And Jesus has the most famous words. Well, give to Caesars what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. He's saying, make sure first and foremost that you honour God. But as you live on this earth, you'll be asked to give things and do things and say things from governments and rulers and authorities, and it's the right thing to do. That's the principle. Make sure you give to God what is God and Caesar what is Caesar's. So, what Paul's going to teach us tonight is the way that you relate to our federal government, our state government, our local government, it matters. Our attitude to our legal system and our law enforcement. The police, our parking rangers, how you respond to church authorities, it really, really matters. So here's the principle, here's the rule, here's the big idea. Model citizens will submit to all in authority over them. Model citizens, as Christians, we submit to all in authority over us. So pick up your Bibles, Romans 13, verse 1. He says, let everyone... Be subject to the governing authorities. See that word everyone in verse 1? Everyone. It it means everyone. It means all people. No exemptions, no exceptions. Male, female, young and old, Christians, non-Christians, everyone. What's the next word? Be subject to. Literally that word is submit. It's the same word used in verse 5. Submit. When you hear the word submit... I fear that we have these very negative ideas. We, we think the word submit means that you sort of, you're forced to do something you don't want to do. You unwillingly are oppressed by somebody. You're voiceless. That's not what the word means. The word submit literally means to willingly place yourself under, to willingly choose to place yourself under, to respect, to honour those that God has placed over you. Everyone, verse 1, is to be subject to to whom? To the governing authorities. The word there is civil powers. So he's saying, church, uh, you're to be subject to anyone who's been elected to an office above you, to a state law, to a federal law, to rules, to regulations, to policies, to procedures, to legal systems, to tax offices. Everyone from your local mayor to your local MPs uh, to your premier of the state, to your prime minister you're called to submit. And I think Paul is just saying to the church and to us, come on, please don't be troublemakers, please don't be known as rebels, please don't be unnecessarily contentious, don't be rude, don't be part of any civil unrest with sit-ins and protest marches, just be a model citizen. Because God cares, God cares about the way we talk about those in authority, God cares the way that we respond to those in authorities. He cares how we live in this world. Let me make two quick comments before we unpack the rest of this passage. Uh, firstly, I'm speaking now as an Englishman. and When I first arrived in Australia 20 years ago, it really struck me that Australians in general are very anti-authoritarian. We are very anti-establishment. We tend to just disrespect anybody as authority. You see it in our homes, the way that kids don't respect the parents or the parents just treat their kids as their adults or equals you see it in the workplace the way that some people talk about their bosses it's disrespectful we see it in a millennial generation who have this entitlement mentality they just want to get everything now you see it in the church you see it in the governments, the way that we talk about our our leaders it's scomo it's albo and the way that if they, they have a, a a policy we don't like it's not just a policy we don't like, we attack them as people. We're just quite disrespectful. And the second comment is this. Uh, we tend to read a passage like Romans 13 and submit to authorities, and, and we rush, we quickly rush to all the corrupt leaders, all the despotic rulers, and we sit there and say, oh, what about Hitler, what about Stalin, what about Kim Jong-un, what about dictatorships? As though we're kind of, we're, we're always looking For a way out, for a reason why we don't have to do what the Bible says. Now, sure, we'll talk about corrupt leadership later. We'll talk about exceptions to the rule. But the principle, the rule, is very plain. We're called to submit. And please remember the context in which Paul is writing. He is writing at a time when the people didn't have the freedom to choose their government, they had no vote. Their government was imposed on them. And who's the emperor at the time when Paul is writing? Emperor Nero. This tyrant, this sadist who killed thousands of Christians. If there's ever a time for a revolution, that was the time. But Paul says, no, no, no. Be a model citizen. Shine like a star. Behave in a way that people have nothing bad to say about you. So I've got three reasons tonight why we should be model citizens. Here's the first one. First word is worship. It's a worship issue. It's an act of worship that the authorities are established by God, and so when we submit, we're actually worshiping God. This is part of our true and proper worship of twelve verse one. This is part of of our offering our lives as a living sacrifice. We are placing ourselves under their leadership. So, so three times Paul says the authorities are established by God. Look at verse one. He says that there's no authority except that which God has established. And in case you haven't got it, he goes on, the authorities that exist have been established by God. And just to hammer it home, verse 2, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has established or instituted. He's just saying, you know, every leader, every authority has been put there by God. Now, now God is the ultimate ruler. God is the one with absolute power. He rules the whole universe. No human ruler has absolute power. But God, in his wisdom, chooses to appoint leaders and establish rulers. Now, he knows the outcome of every election. It doesn't take him by surprise. He knows the, the the birth order of every monarchy. It doesn't take him by surprise. It's God who appoints kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers. Yes, even the corrupt ones. So you must believe that every government or position of authority has been established by God. That's what the Bible says. Daniel 2 had it read. 2.21, God changes times and season. God deposes kings and raises up new kings. Daniel 4 verse 17, the most high is sovereign over all the kings on earth and he gives to anyone he wishes and puts them in place of leadership. Proverbs 8 verse 15, God says, by me, by God, kings reign and by me, princes govern. When Jesus was speaking to Pontius Pilate, he looked Pilate in the eye and said, Pilate, you have no authority other than that which God has given you. That is Romans 13 There's no authority except that which God has established. Do you believe that? If you do, then verse 2, consequently, if you choose to rebel, verse 2, then you're rebelling against God. But we're called not to be rebels, we're called to be worshippers. And so worshippers of God will submit to those in authority. And their worship will mean very simple things like when you see a speed limit, you obey it. When you get to pay your taxes, you do that honestly and accurately. That's an act of worship. If there's a policy there to adhere to, you do it, because that's an act of worship. See, we're worshipping God as we submit. So let me ask you do, you, do you pray? Do you pray for those in authority over you? The Bible urges us to, it urges us, 1 Timothy 2, to pray for kings and all in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives. So do you pray for your leaders, that they will lead us in peace, not chaos, that they'll bring justice, not oppression, and they will allow gospel proclamation? Or do you pray for Scott Morrison, our, our prime minister, and Gladys Berejiklian, our premier of state? Do you pray for Felicity Wilson and Trent Zimmerman, our local MPs? Do you pray for Julie Gibson, our local mayor? Do you pray for, for lawyers and all those who are writing policies? Do you pray they might have the wisdom to act with integrity and justice and truth. Do you pray? Do you pray before you vote? What what a privilege we have in this country of actually voting. But do you pray? I do not believe that any one political party should get the Christian vote. God gives us the brain. Use your brain. Read the policies. Do your research. Ask questions like who will better restrain evil in this country? Who will promote goodness in Australia? Who will fight for justice in this nation? Who will seek the welfare of all people, especially the poor and the vulnerable? Who will allow freedom of speech and proclamation of the gospel? So you see, your vote is an act of worship. See, submission to authority is an act of worship. But here's the big question Is there any exemption? Does our worship mean that we must always submit? Is there any a time, ever a time when it's not right for you and I as Christians to, to submit to those over us? And I'm not talking about starting a revolution. I'm talking about some sort of disobedience. Is it okay? And the answer, of course it's okay occasionally. Paul doesn't ask you to switch off your brain. So when the authorities ask us to do anything which is offensive to God... When the government asks me to defy my God, I must say no. If a human government commands you to do things that God says you should not do, then obey God, not man. But they are the exceptions. They're not the norm. He's not talking about decisions you might disagree with. He's not, he's not talking about silly decisions. He's talking about sinful decisions. Uh, Richard Kokin helpfully summarises the categories where we're not called to submit. There are four of them. You can't submit when it comes to moral issues. If the government asks you to do something which is immoral, you don't do it. In Exodus chapter chapter 1, the the despotic ruler Herod commanded those Hebrew midwives to kill all the baby boys. And they said, no, that's a moral issue. If our government ever said to us, we're trying to control population growth, so we're we're going to mandate abortions for a second child, we'd say no to that. That's a moral issue. If the government ever asked me as an ordained clergyman to conduct same-sex marriages against my conscience, I'd say no to that. That, to me, is a moral issue. If our government ever commanded that we teach our kids in kids' church about polygamy or about immorality, we say no to that. That's a moral issue. Uh, the second area is, is idolatry. Uh, if we're asked to worship another god, we say no to that. That's the whole the book of Daniel. They're in Babylon, in exile. And in Daniel 3, the, the narcissistic Nebuchadnezzar, who's on the throne, he told the people to bow down to an idol. And those godly men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said no. Daniel 6, Darius is asked not to pray, and so he goes and prays. If our government ever commanded that we as a church must be you know, pluralistic and, and one week a Buddhist speaker, next an Islamic speaker, next a Hindu speaker, I'd say no to that. That's an idolatry issue. Now, the third area is abuse of power. When leaders, when, listen carefully, when leaders misuse and abuse the power that God has entrusted to them, we must have a voice and we must say no. So in the Bible, Nathan the prophet, he really confronted King David who'd abused his power. He slept with Bathsheba. He killed her husband, Uriah. John the Baptist confronted King Herod. King Herod. Paul confronted Governor Felix. And when rulers oppress people with their power, Christians must not remain silent. One of my heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great man of God. He lived in Nazi Germany and he, as a Christian man, he could not sit in silence as he watched the horrors of Hitler. And so he spoke out. He rightly spoke out, and for that, he was killed. And if it is right to speak out, we must do it graciously. We must do it politely and accurately, explain what the Bible says, explain why we're saying it. But we should be writing to our MPs or to the parliament. We have a voice. We cannot stay silent when we watch authorities condone sex trafficking or sweatshop workers or sexual abuse or oppression of religious voice. We can't stay silent. It's okay to speak out. And the fourth area that you can't submit is when evangelism is prohibited. When the government says you've got to stop meeting as a church and you can't share your faith, we say no to that. In the book of Acts, the apostles were told to stop talking about Jesus Acts 5.29, they say, no, no, we'll obey God, not man. I hope that's clear. You you submit, we submit right up to the point where our obedience to the state would mean disobedience to God. Does that make sense? So A Christian is to be a model citizen. Up to the point where being a model citizen means we, we become a bad Christian. But those are the exceptions. The norm is... We just worship. We worship by submission. So it's a, it's a worship issue. Number two, it's a welfare issue. It's a welfare issue. Because the authorities are servants of God who have been placed there to bring good into our world. So th- three times in this passage, Paul calls the authorities God's servants. And please remember, he's not just talking about Christians. Christians and non-Christians are all called God's servants. So verse four. He says this, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for nothing. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And down to verse 6. This is why you pay your taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And that word for servant in verses 4 and 6 It's the word deacon, it's the word minister. It's the same word used to describe a church minister. You ever thought about that? That politicians and lawyers and civil servants and the police and social workers are ministers of God? They're ministers of God, they're servants of God because their task is to serve the community by protecting and by punishing. By promoting goodness and punishing evil. By rewarding good and restraining wickedness. That's their role, to pursue dignity for every man, woman, boy and, a boy, a boy and girl on this earth. That's why we need governance. It's a welfare issue. Look again at verse four. The one in authority is God's service for your good. That's their goal to create an environment and a society where we promote safety and security, where we love the oppressed and the marginalised, where we preserve the, the moral conduct of our society, where we make good decisions about education, defence and transport and health. Do you ever stop and thank God? Do you ever thank God that we live in a country where we've got laws, laws against domestic violence, laws against rape, laws against honour killings and sex trafficking and paedophilia and assault and murder. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that you've got law enforcements who wander the streets day and night to protect you and keep you safe? When was the last time you said thank you to a policeman? Go and do that this week. Thank you for serving us. And I know that they fail sometimes, but their goal is to promote goodness in this country. It's for our welfare to promote good and to punish evil. That's the second half of verse four. They are God's servants, agents of God's wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer, to arrest criminals, to carry out justice, to punish offenders. It cannot go unpunished. I've loved reading this week about the way that Christians down the centuries have brought political change. And it's been extraordinary. It was the Christians... Who fought for the outlawing of killing of babies in the Roman emperor. It was Christians who fought for the outlawing of the gladiator battles in Rome. It was Christians who instituted reforms in human prisons because the conditions were so bad. It was the Christians who fought to stop human sacrifice. It was the Christians who outlawed paedophilia and incense. It was the Christians who fought to ban polygamy It was the Christians, listen carefully, who fought to grant property rights and protection for women. They outlawed the abuse of women, the burning alive of widows in India and the binding of feet in China. This is wrong. It was Christians who fought for compulsory education for all children, regardless of your class in Europe. It was Christians like William Wilberforce who abolished the slave trade. It was, listen carefully, I I discovered this this week, it was Christians who initially fought for the reforms against domestic violence. It was Christians who promoted healthcare and social security, who cared for orphans, who cared for foster kids, who cared for disabled people and the elderly people. It was the Christians who wanted to bring changes to immigration policies and fought for the protection of life in abortion and euthanasia. It's a welfare issue. And that's, my friends, is why I think we need to have more Christians in politics, in the legal system. What a great opportunity to bring good, to bring good to our society, to have a voice. It's a welfare issue. But here's where the rubber hits the road. It's not just a welfare issue for the people at large. It's a welfare issue for you. It's about your welfare. Because verse three is a very easy verse to read. It's a very hard verse to do. It says, For rulers, hold no terror for those who do do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you'll be commended. He says, if you do what is right... If you always do the right thing, you'll have nothing to fear. You ever been driving along the freeway at 125 km an hour? How do you feel? You're not just constantly looking in your mirror, going, "Is, is a police car around? Or is a speed camera around?" You know the best way to de-stress at that moment: do the right thing and reduce your speed down to 110. You ever had that feeling where? You, you're going back to your, your car spot and you parked in a two-hour spot. You've been there for four and a half hours. And as you approach the car, your heart is pounding. You're stressing, have I got a ticket? Have I got a ticket? Do you know the best way to de-stress at that moment? Do the right thing. Move your car every two hours. You ever put in your tax returns and you put in your tax returns and as you do it, you just live for, for weeks and for months thinking, oh, are they going to order my tax? Why are you feeling like that? If you've done the right thing, if you haven't cheated, if you've been honest about your income and expenditures, if you haven't claimed what you shouldn't have claimed, you have nothing to fear. It's for your own welfare. If you want to live a stress-free, fear-free life in this world, just do the right thing. It's not rocket science. Not just for outward compliance sake, but because God sees. He he sees your heart. He He reads your tax returns. He sees your speed limit. This is the choice. Do the right thing. Or choose to do wrong, and if you choose to disrespect, then you set yourself up against God. So it's a worship issue, it's a welfare issue, and then lastly, it's a wisdom issue. It's a wisdom issue because God has given you a conscience. See that in verse 5? Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment. That, that's not your motivation. You're not motivated by the fact that you might get a fine or you might be punished in some way by a human figure. The greatest incentive, incentive verse 5, is because of your conscience. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, he prods you, he pokes you, and says, think about this, are you honouring God at this moment? There's a story of a pastor, Pastor Bill, true story, who was driving to speak at a Christian conference. But he was running so late that he was speeding all the way, driving 20 kilometres an hour over the speed limit. And he's driving along. Suddenly his conscience is prodded, probably by the Holy Spirit. And he's think, oh my goodness. And he realised he's got one of those bumper stickers that says Jesus in his back window. So what does he do? What's the right thing to do? This is what he did. He did not reduce his speed by 20 kilometers an hour. He stopped the car. And he ripped out the the bumper sticker off his window and got back in the car and kept on speeding. (laughs) That is the wrong thing to do. Because that Jesus bumper sticker is kind of a visual aid. Remember, 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 remember. You're serving a king. Jesus is your Lord. You're serving him. And if you could live your whole life, it's almost like in your rear mirror you've got the name Jesus. You you make choices, you make decisions that honour him. That's your conscience. And then Paul brings it home in verse 7. It gets very practical. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, then, then pay your taxes. And if you think that our tax system was bad when Paul wrote this letter, their tax system was terrible. In the ancient world, you you paid a poll tax just for breathing the air. You paid a land tax of a tenth of all your grain and a fifth of all your wine. You paid a a fishing tax where you paid a tax for casting your net out and you paid a tax for every fish that you caught. You you paid a cart tax where they taxed you on the number of of wheels on your vehicles. That's when the first century everyone had a a, a wheelbarrow with one wheel on it. The point is this, that if 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 you've got a tax to pay, then just pay it. Don't fiddle it. I read a stunning stat this week that, that 25% of Australians admit to fiddling their taxes. That should not be us. And even when your tax accountant says to you, oh, we can just inflate these figures a bit, oh, we can get this one through, you say, no, 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 no. I want to be a model citizen. I want to do the right thing. Pay your taxes, says Paul. Pay your revenues, verse seven. Pay your bills, pay your... Parking permits, pay your vehicle registrations, pay your licence fees. But it's not just about outward, outward conformity, it's about your heart, it's about your attitude. See the last bit, if respect, then respect, and if honour, then honour. Honour the people over you, respect them with your words and with your behaviour. And I know that gone in the days where we call people by their titles, we don't call him Prime Minister or Reverend or Her Majesty, we do call him ScoMo. <laughs> but you can respect him. You can respect your leaders. We should. Now think about, Can kind I of urge as a church to, to, to be careful about the way you speak about politicians. You might disagree with their policies, but you can speak about them with, with gratitude. Be careful about the way you speak about your boss, about your church leaders, about anyone that God has placed over you. Honour them. Respect them with your words. So it's a worship issue. It's a welfare issue and it's a wisdom issue. We're called to be model citizens. One of the blokes I respect most in the Christian world, and I'll finish with this, is a man called Billy Graham. And Billy Graham is possibly the world's greatest evangelist outside of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And we know him as a great evangelist. But when you read his biography, what strikes you most is he's just a good man. He's just a very good man with great morals and great integrity. And no surprise that every president, whilst Billy Graham was alive, chose Billy Graham to be their chaplain or their spiritual advisor. Regardless of their politics, Democrats and Republicans chose him. Why? Because he's a good bloke. He's a good, model, a good model citizen. So church, well done. Well done for COVID. So proud of the way we've just submitted and obeyed authorities. But to be honest, COVID-19 restrictions are just the tip of the iceberg. Let's get out there and be the men and women that God calls us to be. Let me pray. Father, thank you for those leaders you have placed over us. Father, thank you for our Prime Minister and our Premier and for the local MPs. Help us, Lord, to speak well of them, to seek to do everything we can to submit to them, and give us the wisdom we need to be discerning when we are not able to submit, because it disobeys you. Lord, I pray we as a church will be known as those model citizens who always seek to do what is right. In Jesus' name.